Christmas uh, cross point. Uh, for those of you who love your regular seat, you are welcome. You are welcome. Um, we've been doing this uh, 20 years as a church family, and so uh, it's good to disrupt rhythms. It's good to uh, see one another's faces. This is one reason why, why we are gathered in the round, so we can see one another and be reminded of the family of God that we've been brought into and the one another that we celebrate. We celebrate that Jesus has come as a baby. We celebrate that he is coming again, that the God of faithfulness is faithful to uh, fulfill that promise. So tonight we gather around the story of God alongside one another to be reminded of the story that has been unfolding since the beginning. At just the right time, Jesus came as our Savior. And at just the right time, he will come again as our victorious King of Kings. And so as we work through the night, I encourage parents, there are activities in the foyer. Uh, Becky and Bailey put together a booklet that kind of tracks along with the story that we are being reminded of this, uh, tonight, that creation, rebellion, promise, redemption, church, restoration, Genesis to Revelation, this is the story we are reminded of tonight. So as that story just, as that song just played, so gather around, ye children come, listen to the old, old story of the power of death undone by an infant born of glory, son of God, son of man. Let's stand up and sing.
In the beginning, God, one God, eternally existing as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, yet each fully God, yet personally distinct from the other. Yes, the Son was there in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing that was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. The Son of God, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature sustaining all things by his powerful word. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. Let there be, and there was. Over and over was the refrain, for the power of God was being revealed through the word of God. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created him male and female. God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. The breath and power of God brought life to his created people. So the heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed, and it was good. And God told his created people that if they live by his good commands, they will enjoy freedom. He instructed them to trust his word and faithful character, and in doing so, they will enjoy an unhindered and unashamed relationship with one another and with him, their creator God. And there was harmony, peace, and beauty in the garden. And his people lived according to his word. So who is our God? He is creator. And so who are we? We are created in the image and likeness of him, designed to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So together, in the round from where you are, uh, let us call out our praises to God. So no mics simply from where you are, and we'll do it this way. The sentence will be, God, you are, and we will list 
an attribute of who our God is, just from where you are, declaring the praises of our God. So I'll get us started, and then from where you are, simply just call out a one sentence, God, you are, all right? So I'll get us started. God, you are good. God, you are never changing. And in the midst of this perfect, harmonious garden, a liar crept around, the most cunning of creatures, and his tactic to deceive God's people was to whisper the question, did God really say, did God really say he was good? Did God really say he could be trusted? Did God's commands and word really lead to life? The deceiver wanted to twist and distort the words of God. And tragically, God's people fell for the lie. They chose to exchange the truth of who God is and instead worship created things, starting with themselves. Instead of exalting their creator, they exalted themselves. Instead of magnifying the name above all other names, they magnified themselves. Instead of trusting in the one who breathed life into them, they trusted in themselves and turned to lesser things to draw supposed life and power from. And with their rebellion, the harmony, peace, and beauty that the Lord had created for his people to enjoy was broken. Sin had entered the world for the first time. The harmony went out of tune. The peace was fractured, and the flawless beauty was now stained. Rebellion has consequences. The Lord had warned them, and yet they ignored his words. They thought they knew better, and yet now their lives and all those who would come after them, including you and I, their lives because of sin would be marked by death, separation, pain, suffering, and toil. God's created people realized how holy and pure God was and how unholy they were in, his mo in this moment. And such a reality brought shame hiding and pointing fingers as they shifted the blame toward the other. A holy God could not and cannot be in the presence of an unholy people. And so sin would lead to separation. And yet, before the Lord God sent them away in their rebellion, Genesis 3.21 tells us, 
the Lord God made clothing from skins for, man and, for the man and his wife, and he clothed them. An animal was sacrificed in the garden. There was blood spilled out, and a body was broken in the garden. Why such sacrifice? For the sake of the man and his wife, in order to cover them in their shame. So who is our God? He is holy. We serve a holy God. And who are we? Well, in light of his holiness, we are born sinful with hearts bent toward rebellion toward the one who has created us. So together in the round, let's enter a time of confession. Let us confess our sins to our God for he is for our freedom and our joy. A God who, thanks be to the cross of Christ, has covered us in, in our shame. So let us repent from, for our God is faithful and just to forgive. So, so from where you are, simply spend time in prayer, confessing and thanking God for his, his just and his forgiveness and his good news toward us. I want to invite the kids up toward the uh, toward the middle here, and Susan Bresner is going to 
uh, read a story, and the story will be up on the slides as well. Once upon a time, there lived a man and a woman. They were the happiest people on the planet. True, they were the only people on the planet, but they were still terrifically happy. Their names were Adam and Eve, and God made them. He made them in his image, little mirrors to reflect God's glory. And like everything else God made, he made them good. It was a wonderful time to be God's children and in God's wonderful world. Unfortunately, things did not stay happy and wonderful for long. On one very bad day, Adam ate from the only tree that God had declared off limits. Adam failed. It was a terrible day. It was the second worst day in the history of the world. A snake had tricked Adam and Eve and told them the lie about the fruit. He said that they could be like God if they ate it. But actually, the opposite was true. When they ate from that fruit, they found themselves very far away from God. They had disobeyed God's word, and they believed the lie of that devilish snake instead of the truth. Being near to God and having him draw near to us would not be easy any longer. God was not happy with Adam and Eve. He wasn't happy with the snake either. So God put a curse on the man and the woman and the snake and everything else. He kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden paradise that he had made for them. It wasn't possible for a people who were so bad to live with a God who was so good. They had to go. But before they left, God made a promise. He promised that the evil serpent, the devil, would always be at war with Eve and all of her children. Now, that doesn't sound like a very nice promise, does it? That bad guys and good guys would fight all the time? Who wants to be in a war that never ends? But here is where the good part of the promise comes in. God promised that one of Eve's children would someday, eventually, sooner or later, crush the head of that nasty snake. Nobody knows how or when, but she would have a child, and it would put things right. Unto us a child will be born who would make things right. A son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And through this promised Messiah, all the peoples on earth will be blessed. For when he comes, he'll bring good news of great joy for all the people, for every nation, tribe, and tongue. And over the centuries of the Old Testament, the Lord's promise remained. Through all the wandering and the rebelling, the Lord remained faithful to his people, despite their idolatrous hearts. Even though he had brought them out of enslavement, and brought them into freedom, even though he had multiplied them greatly and fed them miraculously and led them faithfully, the people once again turned from his, his good and loving commands. They thought they knew better. And they bowed down and served other gods, created gods, idols such as silver and gold, little gods who promised life and yet proved to be lifeless 
and unable to give life. The people's stony hearts were in need of a transplant. The people's dead bones needed to be brought to life. And the Lord promised a savior would come, a child to make things right. The God who is good, whose faithful love endures forever. The Lord, the Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. This true and life-giving God will give the people a sign of a promise fulfilled. And what would be that sign? The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel, God with us. So, who is our God? He is faithful. And who are we? Well, we are a people prone to idolatry. And yet, even when we are faithless, he remains faithful. So faithful that he promised his son would be with us, and now his spirit dwells in his people, transforming us day by day through his grace, truth, and power, breathing resurrection life into our lives. How has the Lord been faithful to you? As we sing these next couple songs, let's stand and let's simply pray as we sing, declaring our gratitude to how the Lord has been faithful to us. And we see that in his first advent, and we will see that in his second advent to come. So let's stand and sing.
of Jesus Christ came about in this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And all of this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet Isaiah. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham, born in a humble town of Bethlehem, laid in a feeding trough amidst the humble circumstance of animal and hay, and even as a baby, the shepherds, the wise men, grown adults, bowed down to worship him. For the word that became flesh was worthy. The Messiah was here. And roughly 30 years later, Jesus would announce to the people, quoting from the words of the prophet Isaiah, written seven centuries before, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. For ever since the tragedy of the garden and through the idolatry of the Israelites, God's sovereign plan of redemption was unfolding. The plan to bring freedom to the captives of sin was being revealed at just the right time. Kids, you can come back to the center circle again. So this freedom 
<clears throat> excuse me, this freedom for captives, how would this freedom be purchased? Through sacrifice, through the blood and body of the Son of God. For the guilty do not go unpunished, and we are born guilty. So Jesus, compelled by love, would come to be pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and we are healed by his wounds. For the Lord, the Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. After all of these downs, and not too many ups, we come to a manger in the little town of Bethlehem. This is where we meet the new Adam, the child of Abraham, the son of David. It's with the stinky shepherds and the singing angels where we see the real deliverer, the real judge, the real conqueror. No one understood it completely at the time, but when Mary pushed out that baby, God pushed into the world the long-expected prophet, priest, and king. And God gave his people a new law and a new temple and a new sacrifice. Best of all, he gave his people a new beginning, just as he had promised. Of course, some things were different than people had expected. The stable with the animals and the scandal with an unmarried Mary were surprises to most folks. The miracles were remarkable. The teaching was like, unlike anything they'd ever heard. And the bumbling band of hand-picked disciples that was curious. But the biggest surprise to everyone was that the chosen one of God was chosen by God to die. It just didn't seem right that one destined to crush the serpent would be crushed himself. So when Jesus, the Christ, the son of the living God, died on the cross that Friday afternoon, it seemed a shocking evil beyond belief. And it was the worst thing that's ever happened in the world. But it's also the best thing that's ever happened in the world, just as we would expect from God and just as God had planned it. We break promises, so God keeps his. We run from God, so he comes to us. We suffer for sin, so the Savior suffers for us. Our story is the story of God doing what we can't in order to make up for us doing what we shouldn't. The Christ suffers for our sin that we might share in his sinlessness. And so deliverers are born to die. Things fall apart so they can come together. God kicks his own people out of paradise and then does whatever it takes to bring him back again. And as you may have heard, and you should probably tell someone else, the snake crusher who died on that cross, he didn't stay dead. He couldn't. Death had no claim on him. The devil had no case against him. And sin had no wages for him that he couldn't pay. Jesus just couldn't stay dead. And God just wouldn't let him rot in that tomb. So on the third day, 
God raised him from the dead. We're going to move into a time of communion now. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are welcome and invited to take uh, communion, to remember his broken body, his shed blood tonight. There are four pub tables, four stations in each of the corners. Uh, I'd encourage you to go ahead and stand up now and start to uh, get elements and then return to your seat. And as you are getting up now and going to get those elements, I want to remind you of who our God is, that he is our risen Savior. And who are we in light of our risen Savior? Well, we are rescued. We are delivered. We are redeemed. We are set free from the crushing weight of the law. For the Son was born under the law, and he has redeemed us so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters adopted by a perfect heavenly Father. And we are no longer slaves to sin now, but now we are sons and daughters, co-heirs with Christ. And so after you get, your, uh, get the elements, return to your seat, spend some time in prayer, and then we will uh, take the bread and the juice together as one unified body of Christ.
the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat the bread. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink the juice. Jesus rises on the third day, later ascends to heaven, but before he does, he commissions his disciples. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. His promises, he promises his presence the Spirit of God will come, empowering them to be His witnesses from Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And His promises come to pass. The Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost, and the church is born. An eternal family loved by the Father, saved through the Son, and empowered by the Spirit. These brothers and sisters, fellow members of the same body, fellow branches connected to the same vine, are called to love one another in the same way that Jesus first loved them. And it would be by their love for one another, the world would know that they are his disciples, that they are people who have put their trust in Jesus. Jesus, the head and cornerstone of the church, it is his name that the church exalts and magnifies, for there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for everything was created by him, in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So who is our God? He is the head of the church, his church. He is our cornerstone. He is our vine. He is our good and chief shepherd. So who are we? We're his. We are his. What a good gift that is. We are dependent upon him, for he is faithful. So when we are weak or unstable, when we are hiding or feeling condemned by our sin, when we are bitter or frustrated, when we are broken or hurt, no matter the circumstance of our life or our hearts, we come to the Lord because we are His, a people for His possession. He is faithful to a thousand generations, including our own. So let's, let's stand and sing and declare this truth to our hearts.
Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord proclaim that he has redeemed them from the power of the foe and has gathered them from the lands, from the east and the west, from the north and the south. The Lord has gathered and is gathering more and more people, redeeming them from the power of the foe. And one day he will return in glory and victory to judge the living and the dead, making right the wrongs and bringing justice to injustice. And one day, a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number, will stand before the throne and before the Lamb of God, and they will cry out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne, and to the Lamb. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And the Lord will usher in a new heavens and a new earth. And the one who is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one seated on the throne will say, Look, I am making everything new. The gathered and redeemed people will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. And what started in joy in creation will end in joy in the restoration of all things. What started in freedom will end in freedom. What started in harmony and beauty will end in harmony and a beauty beyond imagination. What started as an unhindered and unashamed relationship with our creator and with one another will end in the same way. And as we wait for his second advent, may we be a people of living hope, assured peace, abundant joy, and lavish love together as his people. For Jesus is our hope, our peace, our joy, our love. So who is our God? He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And so who are we in him? Well, we are victorious, brothers and sisters, we are victorious in Christ. We are held securely in his hand because our God, who is faithful and true, holds us there, all by grace alone. So let's stand and declare our worship to him.
Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with everyone. I encourage you to stick around for uh, fellowship, whether you brought something or not. Let's spend extended time together in these seats, in the foyer there, getting to know one another, enjoying the Lord's grace and enjoying the love that he's brought to us and the love that we share as his people, as the family of God. So I encourage you to stick around and a Merry Christmas. Joy to the world. 